0: Oscar Wilde, uh, how many people here even know who Oscar Wilde is? Ever heard of Oscar Wilde? Less than half? Okay. He died 110 years ago. And a very well-known character in his day, and actually one of my favorite authors. And I say that even though if you knew the life of Oscar Wilde, uh, he lived a wretched, wretched life. And he was uh, an Irishman. I think he was born in 1854. He came from wealthy intellectual parents. And he was a very privileged young guy. And he grew up and it was clear and obvious uh, uh, shortly in his life that he was a very bright guy. He went to university. He excelled in everything he did. He became a great writer. Uh, If you've heard of anything that he's written, the picture of Dorian Gray is probably his best-known work of fiction, his poem called The Ballad of Reading Gowl, or we would say Jail, is his best known poem, which he wrote from jail. Uh, But he started out so well, he had so much privilege, so much wealth, so much God-given intellect and ability in communication, and yet he, he ended just miserably. He died at age 46 in a crummy little hotel room in Paris. And he had left England because he had spent time in prison for the crime of sodomy and died with uh, very few friends, no money, and buried in a foreign land. His wife, he had been married. He lost his wife also, both by the sexual decisions he'd made and the things he'd pursued. Also, his wife, though, preceded him in death. And when she died she kept his name, her last name, off her tombstone. She did not include her last name by marriage in her grave. But Oscar Wilde started so well. And we loved uh, reading some of his stories to our daughters when they were little. Uh, You you describe his life, and it's amazing that you'd read anything that he wrote. But he wrote some, some marvelous stories uh, the Remarkable Rocket is one, and The Happy Prince. And these are really stories uh, that tell a moral. They're morality tales. Very well told. Uh, some of them I still, I still get weepy when I read some of these stories. They're so well told. But he started out very well. He made a whole bunch of decisions in his life all the wrong way. He ended young in life, penniless. His friends got a pot together to bury him, literally. No money. And he'd made a lot of money in his time started so well, so lofty, given so much, and he forfeited all of it because of the decisions in this lifetime that he made. And he's a great reminder for us, sort of the cautionary tale about being careful of decisions we make in life because at the end of the day, they end up making us. And I say all this as an introduction into the end of Genesis 19, that's where we'll be parked this morning, verses 30 through 38, Oscar Wilde, I'm not sure if he ended life as a Christian or not. He, he basically dissed the church and Christianity most of his life, although he was very well versed in the Bible and in morality in general. He did call for a Roman Catholic priest two days before he died. I don't know if he came to peace with God or not. Uh, if he did, he's a great example of somebody like Lot, somebody that we're reading about this morning from Genesis 19. But if you remember in the first portion of Genesis 19, We read the story about God taking out the righteous element out of Sodom, Lot and his family, and then God rained fire down and destroyed the city in judgment. And we're going to pick up the story here this morning with Lot and his daughters. His wife, of course, too, we noted last week, looked behind. She didn't just break a little rule. Her heart was still bound up in the city God was judging, and she was judged also. She did not escape. Um, I confess this morning, uh, Genesis 18 and 19 have been primarily passages of judgment. And I'm glad to be winding down and out of them this morning. And as I've thought about this, I would also say this. uh, You know, we read scriptures and they make an impact on us and we can read them again and again. We get a different impact because that's the way God's word works. The Spirit's always revealing new things to us. I've been so convicted just about the reality of sin and wickedness on one hand and the need for practical righteousness on the other and that people really do go to heaven or hell. These, these passages, have, uh, they've been transforming for me. Having said that, I'm still glad to be leaving them. And it's like strong medicine that's hard to swallow, tastes bad but is good for you. That's what these warning passages on judgment are like. Like the rest of the Scriptures, those, though, these are inspired and they are profitable. Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 19, verses 30 through 38. Reading there, Lot went up from Zoar, that little city he asked the angels to let him go stay in. Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters... He may have found the city of Zoar maybe similar enough to Sodom that he was actually afraid to stay there. So heads up into the cave in the hills. Then the firstborn daughter said to the younger, Our father is old. There's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. That is to get married and have children. Come, let us make our father drink wine. Let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. Let's get dad drunk, we'll have sex with him, we'll have children through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, behold, I lay down... Last night with my father, let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. The younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. In your notes, if you have a study sheet, I'm not sure if the daughter's meant to bless their father or mock their father because Moab means son of father, son of the dad, literally. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben, Ami, son of, a kinsman or a close relative. Again, revealing the fact that This child's father was her father. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. Right from the start, obviously, Lot and his daughters escaped the destruction of Sodom, but certainly not its influence. We'll look at a few points this morning. The first one I want to consider is this. After this great deliverance, there was great failure. There's been great deliverance, and yet having escaped the judgment of Sodom they still end up with great personal failure and loss. So just think of Lot's daughters first. Their thinking here is a little hard to get our minds around. We're not sure exactly what they were thinking. Verse 31 where it says, there's not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Sort of saying there's no men for us to marry. And it's not clear why they said this or what they were thinking. They just come out of the little city of Zoar. And I'm sure there were men there. And also, whether they thought God's judgment had somehow fallen on all the earth, because, of course, they knew Uncle Abraham lived just up the valley and the hills. So what they were thinking when they said this, we're not entirely sure. But that they'd come to this false conclusion is clear. They weren't thinking well. It's not as if God didn't have anyone else in the world that was a potential husband for them. But that was their conclusion, a poor conclusion and a wrong one. Also, you notice on their interaction in the story, there's absolutely no sign of faith. There's no description of faith in God. Everything is them taking matters into their own hands. And think of this, they'd just been escorted out of the city by angels sent from God. So that God was still around and interacting in their lives, they knew. Because the angel said, we're from God, and we're on His mission, And we're going to save you guys before we destroy the city. So they'd seen God at work in their life just days before. And yet as they consider their options for the future, absolutely no indication that they're thinking about God. No reflection of faith of trusting the God of Abraham, Uncle Abraham here. This is, by the way, quite similar. When we point at Lot or the people of Sodom, You know, we like to think in simplistic terms, black and white, they're all good or they're all evil, or our friends used to be all good, but they dissed us, now they're all bad. You know, it's rarely that way. Uh, When you think of this sin, go back to Sarah. You remember, Sarah wanted a baby too, and she and Abraham couldn't have them, and so Sarah took matters into her own hands somewhat similar to this, because she gave Hagar to Abraham, and this was not God's plan. This was not God's blessing. And here you see Lot's daughters doing something similar, more perverse, certainly, but something similar, which was, we want children. We don't know what else to do. We're not trusting God for it, so we're taking matters into our own hand through our Father, and we're going to get children any way we can. These were plans worthy of Sodom, the city they'd come out of. You know, this immoral place that didn't know God, didn't recognize Him, and they come out of Sodom They've escaped the judgment of Sodom, but not its influence. And so they end up in these failures immediately after being delivered and saved. They're making these kinds of mistakes that will have lasting repercussions. They've escaped the marriages too. Think of this to the men who were in the crowd that was ready to gang rape two men who'd come into the town. They've escaped marriage to those kind of men as well, but they've carried the seeds of Sodom with them. So you look at Lot's daughters and you say, they got away from the judgment on the city. That's all good. But yet look at the failure that followed immediately in their own lives afterwards. Think of Lot too. And again, I'll bring up uh, Noah here. If you go back to Genesis 9, Noah and his family have just been delivered from God's judgment, the floods on the earth, in the ark. And they no sooner get out of the ark, the judgments passed, They're saved, they're delivered, just like Lot and his daughters. And the story in Genesis 9 says, Noah planted a vineyard. And what did he do? He got drunk. This is the story that follows immediately to the deliverance in the ark. He got drunk. And while drunk, he lies naked in his tent. And his son, his child, Ham, comes in and sees his nakedness and mocks him. And Ham's children through Canaan are then cursed. By Noah. So the father's nakedness revealed by the child bringing a curse. That's this story too. That's Lot. Lot's nakedness exposed by his children, in this case his daughters, bringing on this cursed race. The Ammonites and the Moabites. Very similar. Very similar. These themes keep coming up through one generation, one person, and another. It's a mistake to think... When you've come through the fire and the ice and the storms and the trials, and you say, Hey, we got through, we're good to go, and we sit down and we let our guard down and we say, We don't need to be, we're not threatened, we're okay, we don't need to be on guard, we don't need to be thoughtful. It's a mistake. I mean, sometimes the greatest failures occur after a victory or after you've been delivered. And there is no time at which we are free to simply think or say to ourselves, There's no temptation. There's no sin. There's no danger. They've just escaped from judgment. And yet this terrible failure comes on immediately afterwards. Something I wonder too as I read this story, if you remember back in Genesis 13, we wondered why Lot left Abraham instead of just ditching the wealth he'd gained with him and staying with Uncle Abraham where God's blessing was. When I read this story... And Lot's life ends in a cave in the hills. I'm wondering, why didn't Lot go back to Uncle Abraham? Why wouldn't he have gone back? Abraham had wealth. He could have fed him, taken care of him. You know, Abraham's clan, that extended group that belonged to him, probably had husbands for those girls too. Why didn't they go back? There's this... There's this disassociation from reality and the options that God might actually have provided. And you know, if you read in Luke 15, the prodigal son, you know, the son has left the place of blessing, but it says he came to his senses. And he said, you know, if I was in my father's house, I could eat. I'll go back where I came from, even if it's as a servant, because my needs will be met there. And I think of Lot and his girls, and I'm just wondering, why didn't she go back? Why didn't you go back to where you'd been, where you knew God could take care of you? I don't know if it's embarrassment, Uh, who knows? But I ask myself that question as I think about Mr. Locke. I don't know if you guys ever had conversations like this, or maybe you've had them in your own head. I talked to a young gal one time who was going to enter into a marriage that she knew Uh, God could not bless going in. That is, she she knew that this marriage she was going to go into was direct disobedience against God. But she told me, and I was warning her about this, but she told me this. She said, God will forgive me and it will be okay. I'm going to grab what I want. God will forgive me and it will all be okay. She was very serious. Very serious. And I don't know how often... We as Christians sort of entertain this mentality. But for me, one of the key lessons of Lot is that Christians today, thinking of application of us today, not just them back then, Christians, those in a a vital relationship with God, those who know God through faith in Christ, who are saved, their sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, and they're going to heaven. And out of that security, if you will, they say to themselves, I can sin with impunity because God will forgive me and I'm going to heaven and everything will be all right. And guys, the moral of Lot's story is you cannot sin with impunity. And it doesn't matter if you're going to heaven. Lot's not part of the unrighteous judged in Sodom right? He's righteous. We, we covered these bases. Second Peter 2, three times God says, after all of this has transpired, God says Lot was righteous. Lot's in heaven. We're going to see him. We'll spend eternity with him. Lot could not sin with impunity and neither can you or I. And for me, on one hand, you look at the city of Sodom and you say, we've said, concluded, God will judge the wicked. God must judge the wicked. But guys, the flip side of that is this. The righteous may escape that judgment, but the righteous do not escape the effects of sin, the sinful choices we make. Those sinful choices bear their own fruit in your life and my life here on the earth. And some of those have echoes into eternity because of what God is not free to bless us with or how He's not free to use us either in our life or in eternity. There's lasting repercussions to this. So when we entertain this thought in my head, Jesus has paid for my sins. I can sort of choose as I see fit. I can sin freely because my sins are forgiven. We are totally dismissing Lot and the lesson of Lot. You can't sin with impunity. Sin always brings death. There's no way around it. And we're kidding ourselves. We're detaching our minds from reality when we entertain this notion. God does forgive us. If you're a believer, you will go to heaven. But, guys, those choices we make like Lot, they'll curse us in this life. They'll curse our children. They'll curse our friends. They'll bring death into our life. There's no way around it. And for me, the whole story of Lot is a reminder that sin has repercussions. On the righteous, none of us can sin with impunity and not have the fruit of sin, which is death. Enter our life, touch us, and through us, touch the people around us. It can't be any other way. Just as God must judge the wicked because of His righteous character, sin always brings death. It can't bring anything else. And for me, that's the story of Lot. There was a study that came out recently. I think this was a Barner report. It suggested that up to 70% of the children who were growing up going to what are broadly called evangelical churches, 70%, 7 out of 10, when they grew up as adults, they quit going to church. And I sort of draw the conclusion that I wonder how full of life and vitality those churches and those families are. And I wonder if those families didn't look a little bit like Lots. Maybe there's a knowledge of God, but it's so detached and it's not informing everything they're doing and thinking. And so the kids grow up thinking maybe there's not much there. Kind of like Lot's daughters. And so there's this failure to transmit the most important message for anyone throughout history, the, the imperative of knowing God through Jesus Christ and having that kind of transformed life. I've got to think that if Christian families see that kind of fallout, sort of like Lot did here, where you lose your children to the generation around them, I'm thinking there's probably an indictment to be made against the churches and the families those kids are coming out of, those young adults are growing up in. Our faith has got to be vital and real. And guys, I'm sort of singing to the choir here this morning. Some of us send our kids to Christian school and we think that means they're okay, and it doesn't. And you bring your kids to church and you think that's enough, that's okay, and it's not. If you and I aren't embracing Christ at a real transformational level, and that's not the kind of imperative we're giving our children, we're cheating them. We're cheating them. And I think we're setting them up for this kind of failure that you see in the lives of Lot's children. And kids, I tell you this too, I'm thinking of Paul's letter to Timothy where he told a young guy that was honoring Christ, that was helping him, that from his childhood, he'd known the sacred writings which were able to give him the wisdom to lead to salvation. And kids and young adults, if your parents aren't all they should be and if your church isn't all it should be and if your school isn't all it should be, take that in, but don't buy that model. You need to lay hold of Christ and go on and push on like Timothy did. Timothy had a Greek father. We assume he wasn't a Christian. He had a Christian mom and grandmother. And he pushed on and God used him. We've got two letters, you know, Paul wrote to him in the New Testament. So it's a terrible mistake to think that sin does not have consequences in the life of a Christian today. It, does, it has terrible consequences the second point I want to mention is just the illegitimate children. Illegitimate children here. Lots of illegitimate children. Uh, you know, his daughters wanted kids. And this is a good thing. And you know, back in their day, if you died without kids, you were assumed to be cursed. Because the mindset then was that your life or my life as an individual was extended or represented in, in the lives of my children and my descendants. So, if you died without children, you were considered to be cursed by God. And so these daughters said, We want to preserve our father's family. That's a good desire. That was fine. It's just they sort of didn't care how they got the job done. And that was the mistake. That was the problem. Good desire, but a wrong means. And when you and I walk in uh, our sinful nature, you know, even as believers. This is not a hard sell. We still have temptations to sin all the time, don't we? Every day. And we sin, James says, all of us, in many ways. Because we still have a sinful, fallen nature. And when we act like Lot or his children, out of that fallen, carnal nature, we always get the fruit of that fallen, carnal nature. It always turns out the same. It always brings in some element of death. And just as Abraham's son, Ishmael, through Hagar, ended up being a curse to the children of promise through Isaac, you see exactly the same thing through the the children of Lot through his daughter. Same thing. So Lot's descendants in the Moabites, if you remember when uh, the children of Israel come out of Egypt, one of their members of the opposition party, as they come up to go into the land of promise, are the Moabites. And if you remember the story, the Moabites hire a prophet to curse Israel. Balaam the prophet, Balak, the king of Moab, hires Balaam to curse Israel. They oppose God's people. They're relatives, by the way. Or later, Balaam tells Balak, look, I told you I'd say whatever God said. I can't do anything else. So I cannot curse Israel for you. But he said this. This is how you can get them. Uh, Have your daughters act like their mothers. Have them go and entice the, the men of Israel and bring them into your camp and make them like yourselves. And, of course, that's what happens. And so God's judgment breaks out against Israel at Baal Peor because of this very thing. The daughters of Lot's daughters acting like their mothers enticing the men of Israel to come with them and get away from God. Same thing later. So the flesh are carnal, sinful decisions and choices. They always bring death. They can never bring anything else. Jesus said in John 3, 6, What's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the Spirit is Spirit. But when we're operating, we're making decisions out of that carnal, fallen nature and our own temptations, it always comes out badly. can't be otherwise. If you're contemplating a marriage partner for life, if you're making decisions about the kind of place you're going to be employed, if you're choosing the kind of folks you call your friends and your associates, you've got to be careful because all those things have repercussions on your life. And if you just choose and you say, this is what I prefer or that's what I prefer, be careful because those decisions made apart from God and His priorities, they will bring death into your life and that death will touch everyone around you. There's no way around it. Don't don't fool yourself. We don't sin with impunity. Those things come back on us. The last of the three points this morning, if you hear nothing else this morning, just remember two words. Remember Lot. Lot. Remember Lot. If you hear nothing else, remember those two words. Remember Lot. You remember, uh, perhaps, last week we referenced Luke 17 because it was a New Testament reminder about the certainty of destruction using Sodom as an example. And if you kept reading there in Luke 17 at verses 31 and 32, Jesus is describing the end of the world when He comes back personally to the earth to rule He says, just like when Sodom was destroyed, his return is a time of great judgment and destruction. And so in that context, he says, hey, uh, if you're on the housetop and your stuff's in the house, lose the stuff. Get away. Or he says, if you're in the field, don't go back to the city to grab your stuff. Just like Lot's wife, you remember? So he says, remember Lot's wife. This time of judgment, her heart's still bound up in the place God is judging and she loses her life. And Jesus in the New Testament says, remember Lot's wife. And Lot's wife, you know, the poor thing, remember probably for this, these three words, this short verse, remember Lot's wife. If someone doesn't know the story, they've probably heard that phrase. Remember Lot's wife is a reminder that we can, a person can be lost in God's judgment. But for us, let me just say, uh, change that just a little. Don't change your Bible, but shorten that from remember Lot's wife. If you're a Christian and if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, John 5.24 says, you've passed out of judgment into life. Judgment's been passed on Jesus in your place. You've passed out of judgment, as one in Christ, into life. So instead of remembering Lot's wife, let me just suggest you remember Lot. Remember Lot. Because for me, that's the point. For us, the application for us is not Lot's wife. If you've trusted Christ. If you haven't, you're still in danger of judgment. Then I'd say flee to Christ, trust in Him. He's paid for our sins. You'll be good to go. For us who have trusted Christ, it should be remember Lot. Lot is supposed to be a cautionary tale for us. The righteous... That we don't sin with impunity. That sin brings consequences and it can't be otherwise. Never can be. Lot's wife, a reminder to escape judgment. Lot, a reminder to the righteous to make good choices that you won't regret later. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Paul said to Christians, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows or plants, the choices we make, the things we do, this he will reap, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. So if you're a Christian, I would just say, remember Lot. Remember Lot, the man who had great wealth and lost it all. And remember Lot, the man who was saved from judgment but lost his wife. Remember Lot, the man who was spared the fire of heaven, but whose life was essentially consumed anyway. Remember Lot, the man who stands as a cautionary reminder to us today that sin, even for the righteous, has repercussions, that we cannot sin with impunity. Ravi Zacharias, in a book called... Sense and Sensuality, Jesus talks with Oscar Wilde, said this at the end of this book. He said, In a society that has gone pleasure mad, we would do well to go back to the author of life and see what his plan is. If we do not, we destroy the beautiful and live with the hideous, all the while masking it by our pretense that all is well. Those who honor what he intended for us to honor will find fulfillment. Those who desecrate what he has made sacred will leave themselves empty and ravaged. Those who desecrate what he has made sacred will leave themselves empty and ravaged. So if you hear nothing else this morning, remember Lot. Now, while that's the sole thing that I want to make sure you remember, let me close on a hopeful note. On a hopeful note. Remember Lot. That's the negative. Here's a hopeful note, though. Lot was pathetic. He's a pathetic creature. Pathetic figure in the Scriptures. He's a pathetic man. Absolutely no way around it. And though most of his descendants turn out just like the Sodomites, like his daughters, you know, alienated from God, they're the kind of people God judged in Sodom, there is an exception isn't there? There's an exception in Lot's line. Totally by the grace of God. And you know, when I think about this as in closing, uh, Paul says in Romans, where sin abounds, great, God's grace abounds all the more. And though this has nothing to do with anything Lot did, it's no reflection on his goodness or the great choices he makes, God still, in this great sense, blesses Lot, not during his lifetime, but after. Because, of course, generations later, a Jewish kinsman marries a descendant of Lot from the tribe of Moab. And this young gal, a widow, who had been formerly married to another Jewish boy, she has left Moab. She's left everyone and everything she knew And she's come and the book of Ruth says she sought refuge under the wings of the God of Israel and Abraham. And with faithful Boaz, Ruth the Moabitess has a son named Obed. And Obed has a little boy named Jesse. And Jesse's youngest son is David, Israel's great king, And the one from whom the Messiah of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, proceeds. And you know what this means, of course. This means that Lot is in the line of promise of God's Messiah and Redeemer. And that Lot, no less than Abraham, is one of the ancestors of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is mind-blowing. This has nothing to do with the decisions Lot made... This is the grace of God being poured out super abundantly on a life that didn't deserve it. And guys, when I see it that way, I have hope for you. And I have hope for me. You know, if if God could bless Lot like that, totally independent of what he deserved, man, that's us. That's my salvation and yours. We don't deserve Jesus dying on our behalf. That's the grace of God. Sin abounded. God's grace abounded all the more. Lot blew it. And when you think of Lot and his life, I really, really, really hope you'll remember. Remember Lot. Remember what he did to his life. Remember from the lofty heights he'd started and where he ended and it wasn't necessary. And also remember the grace of God. superabundantly poured out on Lot. Blessing in a way that was unimaginable really. But that's the kind of God we serve, and that's the kind of grace we get to partake of today. Kent will introduce the Lord's Supper later, but think of that. When you're contemplating your redemption, and as I contemplate my redemption, it is nothing but God's grace, guys, that we have a future and a hope. It is nothing but God's grace that we know the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth from the Scriptures that allows us to have good fruit in this life and experience the good things God means for us. Or we would be dull like Lot was. We'd make those lousy decisions also. We would be consumed in judgment. So remember Lot and thank God for his grace. Father, uh, it's a great, great reminder, uh, considering our brother Lot, that we never sin with impunity, that sin always has consequences. And Father, I pray that you'd wake us up, we who might be teetering on making lousy decisions that would bring death into our lives. Father, help us to turn from those, to embrace You, to embrace wisdom, to trust You for our future and our hope. God, help us to remember Lot and not choose His ways. And Lord, at the same time, help us to live fearfully knowing that it is Your grace through Jesus that has redeemed us and upon which we rely Each and every day, Lord, we give you glory and honor and thank you again and again for your riches poured out on us in Christ. In his name, amen.